0: My theme music there, that is a song by Bully called Where to Start, and that's off her new album Sugar Egg, which comes out on Sub Pop Records August 21st, 2020. And I said her because pretty much the band, or the the brains behind the band, is Alicia Bagnano, and she is my guest today, and I'm very excited that she's my guest. And speaking of which, if you're a fan of Bully and you're here because of Sub Pop Records or Alicia sort of pushed you my way... Check out some of my older episodes. I interview musicians all the time. I recently did David Paho from Slint, Man Man, uh, Frontman, Ryan Katner. There's 182 episodes for you to peruse through and check out uh, uh, past guests, artists, musicians, activists, authors. Uh, I've really got a great library that I'm proud of. So please, go back and peruse some. Uh, I'd like to thank Becca Seitz-Flynn from SubHop for putting this together. Please thinker I don't know if you can hear my kid yelling in the background. you know I'm in quarantine and to be quite honest I've I'm right now I'm recording my intro from my bathroom because the baby's crying in one room my daughter's the other daughter is yelling loudly because that's what four and a half year olds do. So I had to go to the restroom to record this podcast. I'm looking at myself in a mirror. Never pleased to look at myself in a mirror. Uh, I just, you know, I just had a kid. I need to lose some poundage. Anyway, so if you hear weirdness in the background during this intro, it's because I'm a family man, and it's mayhem. And uh, uh, if, you, if you're if you a parent and you don't enjoy cocktails, wow, well, you're really, uh, you really, I don't know how you do it. But anyway, here is my interview with Alicia Bagnano. It's great. Please buy Sugar Egg, August 21st, Sub Pop Records, Bully are you uh, uh, bummed that you're not going to get to tour or are you yeah
1: i mean that that really sucks that's kind of how i make a living but um we've just been kind of flipping the whole uh routine to cater it to the internet and I mean, by the internet, I mean pretty much social media because that's all I really have right now is an outlet to promote music other than press with interviews and stuff, which I know a lot of press is, is occupied with other things that they're covering right now. More important things for sure. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it's, it's just, it's interesting for sure, but I, I really miss touring. Um, but there's no point in me even really thinking about it, because it seems to be so far out that I'm just not sure when the reality of it is.
0: Yeah, I've, I have some musician friends who've been all right with staying home for a change. Like, a friend of mine, it, like he pretty much can only make his living in Europe because he's a jazz guy, and he's actually kind of glad mm-hmm. to, to be able to be home and just focus on uh, composing. And uh, has this allowed yeah. you, you more creative time to, like... F- Prepare for the next album Which you probably I don't know Would you be thinking About the next album already?
1: Um Yeah But it it, it, I'm always thinking about it But I really haven't Done any writing Because I've been Really busy with Getting This Ready to go Like Before It was announced Finally In the album artwork And Picking the colored vinyl And Figuring out merch And Um Getting together the bio And all, all that stuff is totally consumed my time right now but eventually um probably pretty soon here i'll get to like start writing again and stuff but the past few months have really just been preparation for the release of this record it's hard to switch from like being in a business mode to being creative i really like to either have to do one or the other if that makes any sense so like I would say, too, a big part of my time has been learning to rework all the bully songs to something I can do solo, which is just never anything I thought that I would have to do and super time-consuming, and we've had a few live streams, and the amount of preparation that goes into that is probably a lot more than um, people would think, so that's taken up a good amount of
0: time. When you do your songs solo and stripped down, does it make you realize uh, things you haven't seen within the songs before?
1: Yeah, it more so just... it, It doesn't really make me realize the things I haven't seen in the song before, but it kind of allows me that freedom to be a little bit more creative with it and just think, like, the main thing that I... Have had an issue with is if I'm playing rhythm and then I'll stop and do some sort of shitty solo um, <laughs> in the live show. Like I can't do that um, without any other music going on behind me in the solo thing. So I've just kind of like uh, reformed a number of them or figured out how to skip that and still keep the flow going. Um, and at first I was just like, this is terrifying. I don't want to do this. I feel like I'm ripping people off. But then when I saw how receptive everybody was of it, I was like, okay, this will work and started having more fun with it. And now it's kind of cool. Like we're getting ready to announce today a solo set um, of the full third record, uh, which is just wild because none of the music is meant to be played solo. Um, and it's kind of cool like messing around with, what I can do with it. I have like one song where I'm going to loop the bass and the baseline that I had wrote for the song stays the same the whole time. So I just lucked out for that. And then I switch over and play guitar over it. And then there's two songs on the record um, that I also wrote on bass, which the guitars are a lot more sporadic and don't come until later. So I have to figure out like different ways to build up the pedals to make it seem like there's more movement with me just staying on bass, doing it live. And that whole reworking part is definitely gives me a different perspective of the song and like kind of where the root of it is and and what part of it is the core of the song. So, I mean, that's am I'm really enjoying it now actually, because I have a lot of my paranoia eased by the fact that I've done them before and everybody is just like cool and happy and really nice about it. And they're just excited to hear music live in any capacity. So it's, it's definitely... I'm a lot better off knowing that uh, than I was to before where it was just, like, a totally foreign territory.
0: Uh, do, you, do you genuinely embrace going into foreign territory, or is that... Uh, I mean, because it is terrifying. Do you embrace and throw yourself into that, or do you go with it into it with, like, reluctance?
1: I would say at first I go into it with reluctance just because that's, like naturally it's like all the voices in my head are like, you know, you're going to suck or this, you're ripping people off or whatever, which is so stupid that I think that, but now that I have like, really the reality has really sunk in that touring isn't going to happen for a long time. I'm kind of like, okay, this is all I can do right now. So I just have to like make it as fun as I can, have a good time with it, do the best that I can. And that totally has like flipped my mental state about it because I have to figure out something, you know, because touring is, like, the the, uh, majority of my income. So I have to figure out a way to, like, try and make these live streams a little exciting for being a solo live stream. You know what I'm saying? Just, like, little things here and there that I can... Try out um, So it, it kind of flips From being totally terrified To being like Alright fuck yeah Let's just do it Like whatever You know
0: <laughs> Yeah I don't know if that uh, I mean if Myself and anybody Creative I've talked to That that fear Or paranoia Ever seems to really Go away I, Like I even wonder It's like Does Bob Dylan Like go to sit down And write something And go oh fuck This is gonna suck <laughs>
1: Yeah, (laughs) I don't know. I mean, that's a valid point. Like, that fear and paranoia is still there when I play live. So I think that's just a part of my brain and other artists' brains. But um, it's just, you know, another great little roadblock (laughs) that you have when you're trying to be creative.
0: Well, because I I read that when you were going into this album that – that you were you were derailing your ego and insecurities, which I was curious. I was like, is that a conscious choice you made before going into it? Like, I'm going to address these things, or is that something that happened during the, uh, the process?
1: I think that was, I would say, more of a conscious... That, well, well, first off, that was just like the nature of the situation that I was in, I think, um, was kind of just slowly evolving to me. Being able to, you know, like I had the past two records, a bass player and a guitar player that I had played live with that also played on the records and stuff, and being able to just do this one on my own, Um, and I did a guy named Zach, I hired to play bass on a lot of the record, too, for the songs I didn't write based on. So that was great. But that was a situation where it was like we met up two days before and kind of sat through everything and, like, worked everything out and then tracked it. So it was still, like, my time that I had prepared, spent preparing going into the studio was just, like, me recording at my house and kind of fucking around with everything. And I think... Being able to do that as opposed to like spending my time in a space with other people kind of directing it as we go just freed up like a lot of freedom and made me it it definitely I, I regained the confidence that I had years back when I was just like, oh, I like I'm fully capable of doing this. And I think getting that back. I had just made the commitment of just going for it a hundred percent and just, it, it felt like it did when I first started fully and was just really open minded and, um, not paranoid about what other people thought and just kind of doing it for me. And I, I felt like I was like back in that place. And so a lot of it was just like, fuck it, like have fun, do what you want to do and stop fucking worrying about how it's going to be received, you know, or whether or not people are going to like it. Um, and if someone thinks it's stupid, then who cares? Like, if you're happy with it, it's fine. And um, so that's kind of how I felt about derailing my ego was that part of me that's like, it needs to be cool. It needs to, like, sound cool. Cool, people need to think it's cool. And then I was just like, you know what? You're not very fucking cool. So, like, just roll with it because it still works.
0: What do you, what uh, yeah, do you, I mean, what do you, yeah. Uh, what do you think t- uh, uh, t- took you away from that? Because I-, I can relate to that. Like, when you're younger and you're in your 20s, I, I don't know, I had this invincible, like, I'm a fucking genius, <laughs> which wasn't true. Yeah. But I had this confidence that went along. And I I don't know if it was, like, lack of experience. Or- but then it is true. Over time, you kind of get pulled away from that. What-, what do you think pulled you away from that confidence a bit?
1: I definitely had... Um I struggled a lot with trying to get, like, I, I'm type 2 bipolar. And so going through all of that, like, I was diagnosed in my early, mid 20s. Um, and it was like 100%. I'm not even going to lie, I was finding the right medication for that because the daily paranoia that I had before was taken down like 80%. And So I spent a lot less time worrying about how things were going to be received or what people thought or, like, if what I was going to do was going to piss somebody off. And and I just had all that time to just not think about it and to, like, use other parts of my brain for more creative things and, and just having to, like, not always be worried about whether or not my head was in a rational state or whether or not it was in a clear state of mind. And and I was thinking rationally having to not worry about that all the time, totally like brought my confidence back because I was like, you know, I know what's going on in my brain. This is totally rational. I have signs that let me know when I'm up or when I'm down or when I'm in a certain place and I can feed off those signs. Whereas before I was just like, I don't know what the fuck is happening. Like what is going on? And and I could tell cause people around me would be like, what the fuck is going on with you? Like, uh, just sending weird emails at like three in the morning, like weird appreciation emails. And then the next day just being like, you know, everything in the world is ending and just kind of like being able to maintain those mood swings. Just like, I I mean, I felt like a different person after like properly getting treated for that. A hundred percent. It was just the best thing that I could have done. I think it just fully reflects on this record because it was able to tap into like a little bit of lightheartedness. Um, that I didn't have before and even just more storytelling, because I think that after the first record, I put so much pressure on myself to be like a hundred percent honest in everything I did and everything had to be pretty literal because people liked hearing about me singing about my period. And it was just like for this record, I was like, you don't have to like give your full personal life away. Like you can weave some sort of story. You can do something that's fun for you and like not have the pressure of feeling like, you owe everybody an explanation for everything. Um, and that was just something that I hadn't been able to have for a really long time. And I, I feel like getting that back really was just like, here's my confidence. Here I am. Let's just do it like a hundred percent instead of kind of rocking back and forth and like, whatever. that second record, I was just, I was, just, I was just not in a good place and it, and everything is such a learning experience, you know, like even trying to figure out the process of getting back from tour and am I going to set aside X amount of time to write or am I supposed to be writing while I'm on the road? And after that second record and we got back, it was like, okay, well, I don't, all I have to do is write. Like I don't even have a lineup right now. And, this is like, you know, like my job right now and I can do it all from home and I don't have to be running things by other people. Like I can just do what I want to do. And I don't think I would have done any of that if I wasn't in a space because I still would have been like, I don't think I can do it on my own, blah, blah, whatever. I'm talking so much like the role between these questions. I'm like hearing myself talk and the lengthiness of my answers. It's like There's
0: probably a problem If I forget the question At the end of everything I'm saying But Oh I had no Anyway I had no problem I I, My whole (laughs) philosophy About the show Is it's I'm not one of those Assholes who's going to be Jumping in and going Great let me tell a story too I (laughs) want It's like I (laughs) want I'm interested in 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 your world And it it had me thinking Because I was thinking That must be It must have been exhausting To feel that you had to Throw so much of yourself Into your songs And to I mean Isn't that it must have been a relief to step away from that. And yeah. Just step, yeah.
1: Yeah, because... And and it's weird, too, because about songs based off of interviews and stuff. And, you like, in my brain, it was, like, things that I wanted to write about. And that, definitely for the second record, I was like, well, I'm going to be asked about this. And uh and I and I don't want to give this answer away. So maybe I should write about something else. And then for this third record I was just like, fuck it. Like why I don't have I don't owe anyone an explanation. That's not part of being able to write music. You know what I'm saying? It's mm-hmm. like something you want to address and there's something on on the record that, that I like talking about and other things where it's like you don't have to go into detail. That just puts you in even more of a box than than you would have been in before. So just like getting comfortable with myself and realizing that, yeah, that's not going to like ruin your career if you don't like bow down to everybody who's asking a question. I was just kind of like, okay, cool. Well, I'm going to, this, this line probably sounds ridiculous, but it means something to me. And also a huge part of that is like, I, whenever I listen to music and I, and I hope to feel that this is for most everybody, but like, you, you know, you interpret the song how you want and then, you can connect to it um, the way you want to or how it relates to you. So I feel like having to break down every single line and like having it be so literal just takes that away and like takes away uh, some of the mystery of it and, and can possibly diminish that connection between the listener and the song, which should be able to be huge, should be able to be, you know, everyone should listen to it and be able to think like this is, Exactly how I feel, or like this is so similar to what I'm going through, and that's like why music makes people feel so good and helps them um, through tough times and stuff. So I just don't see the point in, in taking any of that away. Um, yeah, and yeah, I don't know.
0: Yeah, I've I've wanted to ask song. Of musicians and songwriters Like oh what's that song about But I'm like I don't want to ruin it For myself Cause Cause he, they might be like Oh it was about a, About a frog in my backyard And I was like Oh I thought that was A love song
1: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah you're like It's oh, actually not about anything It's just a bunch of bullshit And you're like Okay well um, But I and And there are songs too Where I think it's like it's cool to ask about and, but I just think giving yourself the opportunity to be able to say no or kind of like redirect it is cool because there's definitely like, you know, songs on the record that are very like specific to topics, but they're more few and far between, which I felt like the last record, some sort of responsibility to like make a statement with everything I wrote. And that pressure just wasn't there um, on this record.
0: I'm going to take a little break from the interview right now to thank you for listening. And if you're enjoying what you're hearing and you want to be more of the community that is Conversations with Matt Dwyer, you can become a Patreon subscriber at Patreon.com/slash Conversations with Dwyer. There's exclusive content on there. There's bonus episodes, raw files of the unedited uh, conversations, videos, photos. Uh, there's all kinds of stuff. It's a great way. It's also a great way to support the show because, uh, I, for a long time was with a network. I am now independent. I'm doing this all on my own. Uh, so please, uh, it would help me greatly if you became a Patreon supporter. If you can't support that way, feel free to, uh, rate and review the show on iTunes and tell your friends about it. That means a great deal to me. And for all things, conversations, Matt Dwyer, you can go to themattdwyer.com and you could have links to merch and social media. And that way it's an easy jumping off point for any way you want to find out more about the show, find out out more about me, or support the show. I thank you very much for listening. And now we go back to the interview. Some songwriters don't find importance within the lyrics. Um, Somebody told me, like Cobain it was like the last thing he thought of when he wrote a song and I, which I find hard to believe, but do you feel there's an importance to the lyrics or do you f- think it's just another part of the song? If that does, I don't know if that quite made sense. Um, no,
1: I am million and a thousand trillion percent feel like the lyrics are really important. I mean, that's probably what I spend the most time on. I have like drafts, on drafts on drafts of different lyrics for one song. It's like I'm slowly decringifying the whole thing is <laughs> what I call it. But like <laughs> I I just literally go through so many different versions and some of the lines I'm still going back and forth with until I actually track it but I spent so much time on lyrics but mainly so it makes sense to me you know like I never try and there's nothing wrong with this because music can be just as good um, but I don't ever write songs where it's like the chorus means a different thing than the verse and the verse means a different thing than the bridge I in my head for that song to mean something to me and like direct some sort of emotion, which I want because I have to play it every night. It needs to be a, a full cohesive piece of writing and, and the story needs to, you know, all be as one um, in my head when I go through it and, and make, and I need to be able to make sense of all of it. So that is one of the most difficult parts of the process for me is because sometimes you get a super, Badass verse, and then you know you can't finish it, and you go back and you just can't tap it back into that emotion, or that topic isn't um, you know as triggering as it was during the time when you were writing it. Um, and that's, yeah, that's one of the biggest parts for me. But I have friends who play music who said that, you know, they just kind of, the lyrics come last to them, and they're the least important. And their records are great, too. So I really just depend, I think it just depends on, like, what your goal is as a writer and, and what you get out of it um, as far as how much time you spend on the lyrics.
0: Yeah, I Deb, you made me think of something. It was like, there is an emotional investment in every song, and when you perform it, have you ever had a song... That the what it meant to you emotionally changed over the years, and then it was uh, different for you to approach when you did it live.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Definitely. And and that's like goes back to what I'm saying about the listener. Not what you know. Like if that can happen for me with the song, where I can change the situation and how I can relate to it over the years. Like, what's the point of saying what it meant to me in that moment? Like, if if even for myself, I can change it. But definitely, like, there's songs where the lyrics, I can use them. You know, like, on the first record, I have a song called Trash. And to me, it can apply to so many different things. And through the years, something that bothered me when I wrote it may have been resolved or just not resonating as much. And with those lyrics, I'm able to kind of apply whatever situation is eating me up inside to it and and that's one of the best things because it really sucks when that emotion towards the song just totally diminishes and then you have to act like you're still totally invested in it and that it's like pulling something out of you when you're playing if it's not it's really hard to it's a really hard thing to fake because I don't know it's just like either there or it's not um But yeah That's one of the I I love that When that happens When I can just sort of uh, Rearrange the situation To kind of Address how I'm currently feeling But yeah I mean it's it's definitely Certain songs can do that And certain songs Lyrics just don't Have the space for that Or they're too specific Um, So it's a song to song basis But It's a great thing When that can happen
0: Yeah you can't Yeah you can't really fake Live music I mean I've seen people like I've seen no. I've seen shows of people I love and I'm like fuck they just were not there tonight uh sadly pavement Yeah one. totally Yeah and it's <laughs> What are you laughing at me saying pavement? Yeah no I just
1: that doesn't surprise me. I I love pavement.
0: I um, I, I I was yeah. at the time like there was they they were godlike and I saw them and they just and it was at the end of pavement like before they broke up and it it was just i was literally heartbroken because i was like you know and there's nothing more but then it's like i don't know should i expect somebody to be able to give that much every night i don't know maybe that's partly my fault is it
1: (laughs) yeah i mean but that's definitely part of the experience for but as, like, someone who's going to see a live show, it's, like, you know, you want to see that. You want to see that it the them just as much as it affected you while you were listening to it.
0: Yeah. It's just, you know, if you're doing six shows a week, that's it's fucking exhausting. It's got to be hard to deliver every night.
1: Yeah, you're going to have an off night or like something's going to have happened right before you play it that just like kind of threw you off or got your mind out of it. Or like maybe the van just broke down and all you're thinking about is like how the fuck <laughs> you're going to get it fixed before you get to the next city, <laughs> because that is a, a very real thing. Um, so, yeah, no, it's just I think you can feel it, too, as an artist. You're just like, well, oh, I know you can. But like, you know, whenever we get done playing, someone's always like tonight was it for me or tonight wasn't. It for me because you always have like the best show that week and I don't even know if the audience can interpret what's, what you feel like is a really good show versus what they feel like they saw but um, yeah you just definitely uh, it's it's like a night by night thing
0: yeah um, to, to sort of change the subject I saw that you interned with Steve Albini and I I'm from Chicago originally and I've spent a little Time around, Mr. His wife, now wife Heather, used to manage the theater I worked at for a long time. Did did, I'm assuming you know Heather?
1: Oh, (laughs) yeah,
0: yeah, awesome. That's how I met Steve and like hung out with. Did you? What was that experience like? Because that's like, uh, I mean, that's a pretty. Was that a hard internship to get?
1: I don't know. I just like bothered John, who's the internship coordinator who then went on to actually assistant engineer the first and second record, um, I just, like, bothered him so much. I was so persistent, but probably in a very annoying way. (laughs) Um, I I originally, like, uh, thought that place out because of, like, when I was going through engineering school, Pro Tools just did not click in my brain. Something about it just didn't work, and once I had – like any sort of access to the tape machine, it was just so much more of a physical process. And I could understand that Pro Tools is replicating a tape machine and kind of like the foundation on what, you know, recording software is built on. And it just clicked with me so much easier. And so I knew that I wanted to find a place that specialized in recording um, analog because I just, I felt like that was just a process that would work better for me because of how I understood it. And um, and so I, I picked that electrical audio out mainly because of that. And then I learned about all this stuff um, leading up to the internship and kind of the legacy of the studio. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong, I knew the Pixies had recorded there, but uh, I didn't know the extent of everything that had happened there. And the internship was great. It was just... It was awesome. It was like I would do my intern work, and then when I got done, I would sit in a session with whoever was engineering and just write down my notes. And then when there was a break in the the session, ask the engineer all my questions and, you know, take pictures of microphone placement and uh, settings on the preamps and stuff and just take note of everything. But the thing that is the best about that studio is that everybody just has – this immeasurable amount of knowledge when it comes to analog gear, which can be hard to find because it's just not, you know, as popular of a thing anymore. The pieces are hard to find. People aren't working with them every day. Um, And everybody there was like more than willing to kind of help me understand it and walk me through it. And that was definitely the biggest takeaway from it was just how much I learned while being there in a few months. But as far as it being hard to get, I'm not. I'm not sure. I know they have interns all the time. So
0: it just seems.
1: And like... I, I, all I know is that I was like annoyingly hitting <laughs> John up nonstop. <laughs> uh, like he gave me the internship, and I would call a month later and be like, "Hey, do I still have this internship?" And he was like, "Yeah,
0: we're talking about like." Um, it just seems wow. like Albini would be such a coveted guy to uh, learn from.
1: Yeah, no, he was great. I mean, in my my time was split equally with it was just whoever was recording. So I wasn't like just with him throughout the time, but he was super helpful. I still have like some pieces of paper of mic placement that he has written out for me, um, and yeah, he was great. I, you know, I don't, I don't have anything but good things to say about that experience.
0: Do you did you find it has affected the way you've approached your own music?
1: Yeah, I mean the first two records were like. Uh, wait, did you say did I find it as effective?
0: And like, then, like, did, playing did it infl- the way I approach my music. Yes, did it influence yeah. you at all?
1: Yeah, totally. Um, well, I mean, and that that's where I went back to record the first two records. So. Um, I was just trying to copy everything that I learned there, but there was a lot of things about it as far as just like little professional things they would do as like as engineers that I never really thought of. Um, like I remember at one point, Greg Norman was recording something and the band had left their room and I was asking if it was a cover of something and he was like, I'm not sure, but we're not going to ask just in case it's not. And I was like little things like that where I was like, okay, mental, mental no. And also this didn't really happen at electrical because I think, you know, it costs a lot of money to be there. And while you're working on tape, you don't have just like endless resources, but something I picked up from all studios, is just, if you're seeing anybody work things out still in the studio, which is going to happen, but like, bulks of songs it was just really ingrained in my brain that I wasn't going to go record until everything was figured out to the T which is why for those first records I would figure everything out with the full lineup get it going get there we would all track together um and that was all because of because of that uh and, and watching that process but I didn't do it for the third record And the third record still worked But pretty much Everything I took away while I was there I applied um, When I went back
0: and tracked Feels Like I'm Losing Do you still record on Analog? Is this current record on Analog?
1: Uh, no This record is in, in Pro Tools I, Well I think John did it on tape And then dumped it into Pro Tools Um, Or ran it through the tape transformers. I have like a Tascam 3 house, but that's kind of just for fun.
0: Um, Yeah. Do you still avoid Pro Tools?
1: Yeah, I have Pro Tools. Pro Tools makes the most sense for me doing demos because I can, like when I did those covers, um, I put the drum kit in my living room and then my desktop is, like, a couple feet away, and I would cross record on the desktop and then run over to the drums and do it, and I could just, like, watch and make sure it was happening, little things like that. And, like, when I write guitar parts, like, for lead parts, I'll have, like, seven different options to go through. So there's, like, stuff like that where it's just, like, a lot more convenient when I'm working alone um, and just layering stuff on stuff to have and sit with and then, like, go back and re-listen
0: to. Um, I was watching you in an in, in interview, and I, I found it interesting because you were saying that you didn't grow up knowing... Because you grew up in the suburbs of... Did you grow up in the suburbs of Minneapolis?
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, That's funny because uh, Harmar is my guest this week, and he's also from the suburbs of Minneapolis. I have... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I've seen him at a show. He's 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 such an astounding performer. Yeah. Um, but you said that you didn't really have access to cool music when you were a kid, and I was just wondering what that, when the moment was that you, because uh, you said you listened to Ace of Base a lot as a kid. Not that that's not, I'm not saying they're bad, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I was just like wondering what that moment was when you discovered something uh, that there was a different world out there and what that was.
1: Yeah, it was college for sure. I mean, I like went through shitty emo phases when I was like 13, but, um, college was like just pretty much just getting out of there and being around other people and being with around people that were kind of doing the same thing exposed me to a bunch of things. But yeah, I didn't really like, you know, the first time I heard The Breeders, the first time I heard Sonic Youth, um, the first time I heard Pavement was all when I was 18 and left home, and it just reformed me. <laughs> or not, but it's just like I had found something that I, was, I felt like I had been looking for forever. I just didn't, like, I feel like, you know, a lot of people or my friends are like, yeah, my brother had all these punk records and my dad and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, you lucky motherfucker, because <laughs> I was just didn't, you know, wasn't aware of that stuff. But oh yeah, yeah, definitely just when I was 18 and left home and, and were around people that were also trying to be in bands and make music was like opened my eye up to a bunch of shit that I had been missing.
0: Yeah, I grew up hearing garbage, and then somebody gave me a mixtape of punk music when I was a kid, and it was just like it—it it scared the shit out of me. <laughs> like, in a, yeah. but I was like, people are going to think I'm crazy, right? Because there was nothing like that in my <laughs> shitty, dumb suburb of Chicago. Um, yeah,
1: I feel like I've talked to a lot of guys who had that happen, and it's just like good. I mean, that's the best thing.
0: Like, that's that's great. It's- so awesome, yeah. I literally went from thinking the doors were good to I think these guys might suck within like 10, <laughs> 10 yeah. minutes. No offense to doors fans, but I usually find them self indulgent, yeah. Awful, yeah. I don't listen to the doors, so I'm not offended. <laughs> um, is there uh, sort of goals you have for what you uh, want your music to be like, say, in five years, like a uh, I'm struggling with this Getting this articulated Like a place you want your music To be eventually someday Like is, Does that make sense? Yeah I really fucked up the question
1: <laughs> Yeah, yeah No, I I just want to Kind of Play off of The third record And by that I mean like As far as being able to Give myself the freedom To experiment And Play different things And um, Take myself out of the box that I had previously put myself in and just kind of roll with that for a while because I think it, it opens up a lot of doors. And um, that's really the main thing, It's just mess around with pedals or different auxiliary stuff or, you know, just like, there's you're not going to die if you play with a synthesizer. Like, all these things that... I, I kind of feel like when we started, since it was two guitars, bass, and drums, it was like... And that's what it was for the first two records. It was very much something that I felt like I had to stick with because I always used to say I don't want um, anything on the record that I can't replicate live because I love uh, live live shows and I don't want anyone to be disappointed. And now I'm just at a point where I'm like, "Mm, no, I just want to do what I feel like doing and what I think sounds cool. So I want to stay on that path and see where it takes me.
0: Um. Awesome. There's one. I don't. This is just. I don't know uh, from where I sit that I find out. I I find that uh, the more interesting new music is coming from women these days. Like anything new I listen to has been all women. It's like I don't even listen to men <laughs> anymore. And frankly, I think we've heard enough yeah. from men, right? <laughs> uh, but I would just right. to, if you have if you can attribute to why suddenly there is a. It feels like there's more bands being fronted or all women than ever before, which I think is great. I'm just curious why suddenly there's such a drastic shift.
1: I don't know if there's more or if it's just like they're finally being recognized. Um I just I feel like music And particularly rock Has been such a boys club And it's not Like really an opening Inviting place Like that whole Kind of idea Of someone wearing A punk shirt And a girl saying They like it And them being like Name three songs You know Or like You don't That like shaming Of like You don't know this And you don't know that It's like is the worst thing That you can do Because someone's Trying to know They're trying to learn They want to hear it And I just a lot of the stuff, like if you watch a lot of the documentaries that'll like go on and, and talk about the California or the DC punk scene, it's just, you hear men talk and you're like, God, that's so shitty, you know, like it's awful. Um, but I know it was always there. I think it's, it's being brought to light a little bit more. And I just think that, you know, people are just starting to say no and do what they want to do. And, 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 and include themselves instead of, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't really know. All I know is that I feel like it is, you know, naturally was just like a boys club and now it's kind of reforming. And, and I know that women just, you know, bring each other up and are inspiring each other. And I think that just creates a lot more space um, for them to make music and feel safe making music um, and playing live. Cause even if you look back at those tapes of like what Bikini Kill had to do with, it's just like, fuck, I don't blame you. I wouldn't want to play music either. You know, not like they don't, but you know what I'm saying? You watch right. it and you're like, yeah, that doesn't. this guy in the front row just screaming that you're a slut. That really doesn't look fun to me, you know? No. Um, and that was, and that was the norm that was just like, you know, I mean, now there's just people are fed up with it. Again, they've always been, but I'm not really sure. I don't know. I mean, uh, I don't know. But I'm I'm glad that it is. I'm glad that it's happening.
0: Uh, uh yeah. I I feel like I don't like like I said. We've we've kind of heard enough from men. <laughs> it's like let's take a break, white guys. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. Yeah. Please. Yeah, I, even a guy I interviewed a couple weeks ago He, They have a female drummer And he said when they toured the Midwest They still would get people being like Oh, you had a f- female drummer And it's just like Are we fucking Are you kidding me? Like, still?
1: Yeah Yeah Oh, it doesn't stop uh, It gets better, but it doesn't stop
0: Well Awesome I, I just, I want to thank you for your, your time And if uh, w- uh, Where can people find all things that are Bully
1: yeah, um, com, but also Instagram is, like, I would say the most active as far as sharing music and shows and everything, and that's bullied, at BullyTheMusic. I feel so weird shouting out my <laughs> social media accounts, but, I, like, I never thought that this was me, but I guess it is now. Um, I don't know what Twitter is. I think I think it's all at bully the music. Um but... Yeah, so anywhere on social media, and that'll direct
0: you to the website. And,
1: I'll, and they've got a mailing list going and all that special stuff.
0: Great, and I'll put all that stuff in uh, show notes. And I, I thank you very much for your time. I, I hope it wasn't painful or anything.
1: <laughs> no, it was great. Thank you so much. Thanks for letting me just talk on and
0: on. No, that's what I want. I think... Uh, <laughs> It's, no one wants to hear from me. I'm a, I'm a white guy, remember? <laughs> uh,
1: That's not true, But <laughs>
0: Thank you very much for listening to Conversations with Matt Blair. Do me a favor, subscribe to the podcast. Remember to rate and review it. And if you like, become a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash conversations with Dwyer. Also, listen to my friend's podcast, Hunk by Mike Bridenstine and Kilgallen's Pub with Joe Kilgallen. Thank you so much for listening. I look forward to seeing you again.
1: Is my audio okay?
0: It is okay. Is my audio okay on your side?
1: Okay. Yep, it's great.
0: You're a recording engineer So I know it means A lot more to you I'm just some kind Of schlub guy Who doesn't (laughs) (laughs) No it sounds superb Oh good Good Um